Many millions of Americans would like to work but are unable to join the workforce. Employers often overlooked marginalized populations. Examples include those who have suffered with mental disabilities or addiction, the homeless, and the formerly incarcerated. As a result, even though they would like to look for jobs, members of these groups are often unable to find employment, become discouraged, and stop looking for work. And as their skills become outdated, they are forced even further from the workforce in an ever-worsening cycle. Welcome to the Managing the Future of Work podcast from Harvard Business School. I'm your host, Bill Kerr. Our guest today started a company which embraces the opportunity to hire these workers. Joe DeLoss is the founder, CEO, and chief fryer of Columbus-based Hot Chicken Takeover, where a majority of the employees are people from these populations. Joe will tell us why it is good business to expand opportunities for these hidden workers and talk about his company's strategies for getting the most out of this untapped source of talent. Welcome, Joe. Thanks for having me. Joe, as chief fryer of Hot Chicken Takeover, I wanted to just start with you coming up with this recipe. How did you get into the fried chicken business and, and how did you get into the fair chance practices that your business works with? I began my career in kind of fair chance employment and integrated workforce development in 2004, 2005, and have been doing it since. And so the reality for me was I was trying to find a way to build businesses that could meaningfully employ a group of people I, I, I came to really deeply care about. I've had a variety of different enterprises. Hot chicken is probably the fourth or fifth, depending on how you count them. Okay. And how did you particularly come up with the fried chicken? My wife and I took a trip down to Nashville, Tennessee, when she was seven months pregnant with our first daughter. And we fell in love with just the style of fried chicken and the experience surrounding the product. And so five months from that trip, uh, we were frying chicken for friends and, and going from there. But I learned on an $80 Bed Bath & Beyond fryer, if that's, okay, that's what you're worried took the model back to Columbus, Ohio, and then built it up from there. You had early some food trucks, and then now you're at three restaurants. Uh, and tell us a little bit about those. Yeah, we've got three restaurants in, in central Ohio. We just announced our fourth to open in the summer of 2019 up in Cleveland. That's really kicking off regional expansion for the brand. But the business employs around 130 or so folks, many men and women that have just had a lot of adversity in their lives for one reason or another. And as a company, we, we have this really rich uh, hospitality experience that invites kind of guests from all walks of life to join around communal tables and eat delicious fried chicken, which is a pretty nostalgic and inviting experience for people. For our listeners, tell us a little bit more about the Fair Chance Practice. Begin with what share of your workforce have come from this hidden worker segment, the missing worker uh, groups, and then tell us about how they interact uh, in the workplace. Fair Chance Employment is, is a relatively newer term for things that have been called reentry employment, second chance employment. There's a a long list of, of nouns now associated with the nature of the work we do. We choose to use fair chance employment in particular because we believe that we don't have second class employees, that rather we're just giving fair consideration to somebody who's been cut out of that opportunity before. The majority of our team members have had a lot of adversity specific to incarceration or a criminal record, usually floats between 55 and 70 percent. Other than that particular group, which at this moment in the spring of 19 is around 60%, we also have a lot of team members that have just experienced a lot of adversity tied to housing instability or to addiction, uh, regardless of if they've actually been affected by a criminal record before. 
And this is a, a place where many employers will not take the interview process forward once they learn of somebody's criminal background or their convictions in, in times past. And you're choosing to look beyond that as part of the interview. So how, how does that conversation roll? That's exactly right. A lot of employers will just outright not consider somebody with what we call an alternative resume. We believe there's a lot of value to learn from the experience somebody's had in the past. For us, our employment process is very intentional and really built out. We want to make sure that we're hiring a a high-integrity candidate that aligns with our company values and the orientation we have to our guests and to one another. And so that process is everything from phone screens to live manager screens to uh, active time in the restaurants to get exposure to our environment and, and really test if somebody is motivated by the things that motivate the most successful people on our team. And so from the beginning, you're also talking to them about the history that they have, asking them to explain it. And then what do you do in terms of the workplace to help people that have had in unstable sort of backgrounds or even at that moment have less security than other workers? How do you help them in the workplace? For the first part, we don't hide from the experience somebody's had. We ask that people acknowledge their past honestly and talk about some of the circumstances that led to some of those decisions that may have occurred through the course of their life. But that acknowledgement of the past then becomes a very quick discussion about the future story somebody wants to have for themselves. We hire people that are highly motivated by their future and the career ambitions they have for themselves. And it's a codifying experience to sit through that interview and say, this is where I see myself in the next six months or 12 months. And so once somebody does that and they earn a place on our team, uh, which is about one in 10 from the, the candidates we source, and so highly selective. Yeah. But once somebody does join our team, we wrap around a series of different components that really start to tackle personal instability and increase professional stability. And so... Can you give us a few more specific examples? Yeah. The quick headlines for that are are first starting with really clear expectations and pathways for people. A lot of our candidates have never had a positive work experience in their past. So to be presented with an opportunity to grow objectively alongside of clear metrics and and clear position descriptions is really empowering. And in your workplace, you have, I think, three levels that employees advance through and then they can come into management. So there's there's no upper bound on how far somebody can go. Absolutely not. And, And we want to be a business that's growing at an accelerated pace. So we need people to keep growing. Yeah, we have three crew levels. Everybody starts at the dish tank, regardless if you're a VP or a new trainee in the restaurant. And it becomes a a really important cultural component of somebody's experience. And so it starts with clear expectations and pathways for growth. From there, it goes on to really think about the types of wraparound services and benefits we provide our employees. Oftentimes on on business podcasts, you hear about what great employers are doing for middle income or professional employees. Okay. Um, We've had a few of those. You've had uh, a few of those. Podcasts, yeah. (laughs) So our orientation is taking a hyper-relevant approach to what our employees need. And uh, 401ks aren't super popular with somebody that's getting back on their feet. And so it's informing that benefit by making a match savings account associated with the types of investments somebody might make in their life at that moment. This is like for a purchase of a car or for... Yeah, car housing, transportation assistance, a lot of things like that. And being alongside of somebody as they make those big milestone improvements in their life breeds a lot of loyalty and commitment to one another. And so clear expectations, relevant benefits. The third component of that is really frequent feedback. 
of just consistently letting people know where they stand at the business and where they stand on those crew levels in terms of what growth looks like. Okay. When you talk to most people about bad work experiences in our segment, they'll say, I had a terrible manager or uh, he was picking favorites or I, I just never knew what to do to, to demonstrate that I could get promoted. Yeah. We take a lot of that out of the equation by just putting it in paper and putting it in front of people. One of the things that you put in front of people is a, a rather unique training handbook. Can you tell us a little bit about how that handbook came to be and tell us some of the things it talks about and what others can learn from it? We found if you want to give people clear expectations, you probably got to write them down somewhere. And it shouldn't be that groundbreaking, but for many of our team members walking away with a document set that is uh, not printed on sideways black and white copy paper (laughs) is a really cool thing to receive. And so we've created a handbook that's both a combination of policy and cultural norms and values to really try to bring somebody along in that journey from the, the very first moment they start learning about the job they just got accepted to. In terms of team integration and the mentor relationships that surround people, peer effects and so forth, do you see any differences uh, with fair chance employees once they've come on board? I don't know if I'd credit fair chance employment with that, but I, I think we've created a work culture and an environment of people that are deeply concerned and care for one another. And that makes a really fundamental difference. I think the propensity of a fair chance candidate to play in that space is probably a little higher, um, particularly because we have a lot of team members in recovery. And if you've ever sat in a group meeting or a recovery meeting, you see a a genuine concern for one another and some peer accountability. We very organically built some of those themes into our work environment on that methodology of a therapeutic community or an environment where people will hold one another accountable. To this point, people might be listening to this podcast and think that Joe's got a great big heart, which he probably does. But you also say that this offers you a competitive advantage. So I want to walk through that side of the business. You think this is a a driver for hot chicken takeover success. Tell us about that. There's a lot of people that talk about the novelty of who we hire. The reality is we have a a methodology of how we hire people, particularly entry-level candidates for work that deeply invest in their increase in stability. Uh, We've seen a direct correlation between somebody's personal stability and their professional stability. And so as a business, uh, though we do make some larger investments up front, we have dramatically lower turnover than our industry. As research keeps coming out about the cost of that churn through an employment in just hard costs, let alone guest continuity or any of those other things we look at, it's really clear to us that our business is stronger because our people are stronger and they're performing better than our industry and in almost every critical metric. And so to put some numbers to this, how much lower is the turnover relative to the typical quick service restaurant? The Bureau of Labor Statistics at the end of 17 put the hospitality and accommodation sector at around like 75% turnover, somewhere in the low 70s. Hot chicken takeover of the same period was, was sub 40. Keep in mind that That was a very large data set. When you look specifically at quick service restaurants or fast casual, most employers are reporting 130, 160% turnover a year, three, four times. At least 50 and maybe even a quarter of the Mm -hmm. typical turnover. In terms of the cost, uh, you've put some calculations around this. I think you have maybe $4,000 of direct costs that come with an employee turnover the handbook, you know, or the, the the uniforms, the time spent training, and, and, and so forth. Tell us about some of the other surrounding issues with high turnover environments. 
what we know is our, our brand has been differentiated because of a really rich hospitality experience for our guests in our restaurants. There's a lot of soft cost associated with not having that are just harder to do a research paper about. What we find anecdotally is that we have a lot of people that celebrate birthdays in our restaurants and take pictures with our team members because they've met them dozens of times. That kind of continuity and that deep relational capital is not something that comes when you walk into a fast casual restaurant off the street. And it's, it's because of our team. And it's a, a really deep investment that the company makes in our team and that they make in our guests. And it's really some hot chicken magic there. Yeah. Well, we all, always hope every fair chance employee and any employee is going to perform well on the job. There can be issues. Somebody can have a parole violation or there can be a relapse on substance abuse. How do you handle those? We've definitely had some of those instances, much like any employer. I, I just want to have that disclaimer. We don't feel like we've had more than just peers in the space. But if employees are being open and uh, vulnerable about those instances where their recovery might be in jeopardy, those become really active dialogues with our HR team. And is there an instance here where we can make a critical contribution to somebody's health and, and long-term success? And so we've had some people take leaves of absence and um, supported treatment plans that they're on and, and in some cases use match savings for some of those, some of our existing benefits to invest in those and have had great outcomes where employees have overcome something really difficult in their life and remain on the team and contribute in a really meaningful way uh, long after those instances. The difference is we just talk about it and we acknowledge that this is real life and it's going to affect our employees whether or not we acknowledge it. And if we're going to acknowledge it, we can control the impact in a lot better way. You mentioned it's always going to happen in the workplace. And I know you, you must get this a thousand times per month probably <laughs> as, well, Hot Chicken Takeover has a population that is been marginalized or fair chance. I couldn't do that at my workplace or in my restaurant or in my warehouse because it wouldn't work. Tell us about your view of, of that. Could this port into other environments? There are, of course, really large segments of concentrated jobs that are experiencing some economic crisis right now around not being able to find and retain labor. Um, and that's a, a pretty popular headline to hear about how companies are being innovative about that. We're very adamant that deeply investing in your entry-level workforce will produce those results, regardless of who you open your hiring to. What we often find from employers that are calling us to ask this question, they'd say, oh, no, we could never be a fair chance employer. We, we can't have, you know, pick the label ex-cons, convicts, a lot of language we won't even use about people's experience because it'll be too much conflict and theft at work. What we're finding is those are the same employers that have shrinkage on their P&L for the active criminals they're hiring that are stealing from them. The difference for us is we're hiring a group of people that have a lot to gain from not having that life or that pattern anymore and see considerably less of any of those types of instances and generally a lot more loyalty. When you're talking to various industry groups, do you see some as the most natural expansion points for the fair chance practices? Restaurant and accommodations, of course, a really large segment that, that we're barely scratching the surface of. I'm particularly interested in distribution centers, light manufacturing, warehousing, these areas where you have very large, concentrated populations of employees under one roof, uh, albeit maybe a 100,000 square foot roof. But it provides a lot of economy scale to invest in your employees and their development 
that are harder to come by from a restaurant chain that builds jobs in increments of 50 per geographic location. Joe, what happens if a supplier disagrees with this practice or is is nervous about it or your landlord has an issue with it? How does it play out with other businesses and, and parties? Thankfully, as a business, we have an increasing amount of leverage just as a a brand that continues to grow that in 2019 was recognized by Nation Restaurant News as a breakout brand. We're going to work with partners that want to work with us and work really hard on the front end to make sure that our partners believe in the same mission, that we can, in fact, create extraordinary experiences for extraordinary people, be them guests or team members. We have had a handful of run-ins through the years with people and vendors that don't completely align, and they're vendors that don't completely align, and they're no longer vendors. Okay, they get dropped from there. Yeah. And if you think about your senior management and its development process for the Scaling Ahead, do you anticipate a significant share, to be fair, chance employees that have advanced up through Hot Chicken? They're going to be probably combined with people that have come from other uh, restaurant concepts that have already hit 1,000, 3,000 mm-hmm. stores. How do you think about that future team development? It's a blend for us, and it's a blend that still skews towards internal development. And so we've made a commitment that 75% of our leaders, whether they're restaurant leaders or administrative team members, will be developed internally. We know as a brand that is focused on culture and is focused on a really differentiated experience for, for both team members and guests, that that's the easiest way albeit still very difficult, to grow and sustain those critical differentiators. One of the things that's been staggering is to learn about that more people have arrest records than have college degrees in the United States, and this problem is worsening. So let's think about first your ability to scale hot chicken takeover. You want to go from three to 300 stores quickly. What are you putting in place to hit that internal scale so that you can take this model forward? Right now, we know that the critical component of our growth is around our talent infrastructure. Our business and brand started because at a grassroots level, we hired exceptional people that were really ambitious and deeply committed to growth in in themselves and the organization. We need to build a pipeline to really enable more people to be on that same path that, that join our ranks. That, we believe, is the most critical factor when it comes to things like scaling our supply chain and scaling our real estate strategy. There's a lot of great precedent there. There's playbooks there. There's playbooks. Scaling, you know, an intentional work strategy and an investment in people and that culture is... But what about scaling uh, Joe DeLoss and (laughs) the intentionality and the hard work that it takes to implement this practice on on a day-in and day-out basis? You know, I'm not the end to this outcome. I'm part of the means as well. And and I, I just happen to be out front a little bit in our own business to try to think about those strategies that are most impactful to our team. But at that moment, they get codified and integrated and distributed through people well beyond me. My hope is that I can be an advocate for Hot Chicken Takeover and other brands that are interested in doing this work. But ultimately, I'm not going to be the critical factor. Our team, and when you spend time with them, you'll know, are the ones really carrying the torch. Do you worry in the expansion process of the model becoming diluted? Maybe a a way of phrasing this, would you rather have 1,000 stores and the fair chance practice be 10% or 300 stores at 60-plus percent? I do worry about that dilution and the pressure, particularly as we raise capital and grow and scale. But at the end of the day, what we know is that the work we're doing with our team is inextricable to the value of the business. And if funders or external partners don't 
make that same correlation, they don't belong on our cap table. Our orientation is to continue to validate stair-step by stair-step that our business is in fact stronger because our people are stronger, and that's our primary target. And I think you've said that franchising is the F word and you would stay away from that? I have in fact said that a few times. I think franchising for us feels absurdly premature, particularly as we're still really finding the formula and consistently are improving unit restaurant economics and team productivity. And so for us, it's a matter of really validating that we have engineered a rocket ship before we we go to do anything else. And franchising to me feels like it's uh, even to be a consideration as a ways down the road. As you think about going beyond hot chicken takeover, you have been active in in the public sphere around fair chance practices and have obviously a decade more of social entrepreneurship that you've been engaged in. Criminal justice reform is top of mind right now in Washington. What are the best things that we can be doing to increase the opportunities to people that have had stumbles along the way? Hot Chicken Takeover is on the tail end of a lot of criminal justice problems. We're finding people who have been cut out of significant amounts of opportunities because of mistakes they made as adolescents, in, in more cases or not. And what we realize is, in many cases, the opportunities we're presenting are combating two to three generations deep of a really terrible, complex problems. I'm of the camp that I'm, I'm really thankful criminal justice reform is happening, and I'm getting calls from a lot more employers that want to mimic some of the work we're doing to, to solve problems they're facing. But at the end of the day, what I'm most excited about is that we're starting to intervene before those records start forming that are really cutting people out of the work environment and, and general prosperity that we don't all share in right now. If there's any place I'm interested in, in really seeing how it evolves, it's on the front end of really when these sentences are happening and the interventions we choose to make as a community. Joe, as our last question here, we have a, a range from MBA students to policymakers to business executives that listen to this podcast. What parting advice do you give about fair chance practice? How can they think about this as it applies to them? If I've learned anything through the experience of about 10 years of doing this work, it's that we're all a lot more alike than we are different. What's truly different is, is the circumstance, not the character of people. If employers or executives or young business leaders can take a moment to suspend and kind of acknowledge some of those preconceived notions you might have about somebody that is an other, to build an authentic relationship and open themselves up to learn, you'll have an opportunity to enrich your life, but also enrich your business. And uh, Hot Chicken Takeover is a perfect example of what that can do. And, and hopefully we'll prove that on a much bigger scale very soon. Well, Joe, I, I want to end the podcast by saying I've visited several of your Columbus stores. The chicken is pretty darn good. So I would highly recommend it. Uh, podcast can't convey the taste of the food, but we appreciate you uh, joining us today to talk about the employment practices and the future of Hot Chicken Takeover. Thank you. And thanks to all of you for listening in. 